We read from Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 15 to verse 23. This can be found on page 1664 of the Pew Bibles. That's Ephesians 1, chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Thanks, Mariki. Good morning. Well, um, great to see you all here. So thank you to all those people who ran the bridge to Brisbane and still came to church. Well done. Great job. And by the way, that noise from before, we think it was a car backfiring, just uh, if you're wondering what the strange noise was. Um, I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open. Do you want to have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 1? And we're going to work our way, and we're really going to be working our way through that text. So really good to have that open in front of you. And I'm going to pray for us that we might hear God speak. Father, our prayer this morning is the prayer of the passage, which is that our our eyes, the spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart might be opened so that we might know you. Father, please help us to know you because in you is life. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, nothing seems to make a bunch of Christians more awkward than if you ask them, how's your prayer life going? How is it going really? Uh, If I was to ask you this morning to come and stand up the front here and kind of just give public testimony this morning for how your prayer life is going, would you be comfortable doing that or does even the fact that I'm suggesting it slightly terrify you? I think for a lot of us, prayer is this thing that we know it fits, it's important, you, you should do it. It can be hard to do at times, can't it? If we're honest, I'll be honest about my own prayer life, I find it hard to do. First, it can be hard to find the motivation. It's actually hard to get yourself around to doing it. So you can set the alarm a little bit earlier to get up to pray and then find lots of reasons for why you might need a bit of a sleep in. Or in the busyness of life, you just kind of, I don't know, you just don't get to it. Second, when you actually get to praying, you can sit there and go, okay, I am here, I have woken up early, now what shall I pray for? And you uh, sit there and you go, okay, what's a crisis? Israel, Palestine, yes, I will pray for that. Prayed for that, what should I pray for now? 
What should I be praying for myself, for my family, for for my brothers and sisters at church, for my kids? What should I be praying for them? I actually reckon this passage, this little gem in the book of Ephesians is so helpful because this is the Apostle Paul at prayer and he gives us his model, his example, this incredible picture of prayer. Uh, And in this prayer, we're going to see that he tells us what drives his prayers, what fills his prayers. And as we read it, this is what I hope happens for us as we work our way through this text. I hope we get a picture of prayer that is not guilt-ridden, that's not guilt-driven, but it's actually prayer that is driven by, shaped by the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That's actually what Paul does. Do you want to work your way through it with me? Come, let's have a look firstly at Paul's motivation for praying. It's there in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, it begins, I just keep praying for you. For what reason? Well, last week, we were working our way through the first part of Ephesians chapter 1. And in that passage, we saw God's blessings for his people, and they're huge. Verse 3 to 14, if you remember, speak of the enormity of everything that Christians have because they're in Christ. Uh, We saw last week how God gives us every spiritual blessing in Jesus. And we heard Paul really sing God's praises in this one big sentence from verse 3 to 14 because of everything that God has done. God has saved us, he's redeemed us, he's included us in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Jesus. And Paul can see that God's glorious grace, it's been poured out on the Ephesian Christians. Do you see what he says in verse 15? Because I've heard about your faith and your love. These two authentic marks of, uh, marks, sorry, of authentic Christianity. Because he's heard about that, he just can't stop giving thanks to God and praying for them. Because he can tell that all of God's grace, all of the blessings that God gives his people, he's poured out on them. I've actually got to tell you that I really, I love Paul's motivation for prayer here. The thing that drives him to pray is... The fact that he has such a big view of the grace of God and how it's been poured out on these Christians, because he can see that, it can't just, he just can't help but pray in response. I've not stopped thanking God for you. Because, well, I mean, how big and how good is the grace of God poured out on you? Now, I don't know if you've had this experience. Um, I have read, you know, Christian books about prayer. I've heard those sermons about prayer where someone talks about the way that Christians in the ages past used to pray. It kind of goes something like this. I'm just going to make up an example, right? Did you know that Martin Luther would wake up at 5 a.m. and pray till 10? How's your prayer life going? You heard that one before? Or did you know John Wesley? He prayed from 4 a.m. to 11. How about you? You've heard that kind of thing? Uh, Hey, look, sometimes we probably do need a kick in the pants. However, it is... So amazing to see how grace-driven Paul's prayers are. He prays not because he's guilted to pray a bit more like Martin Luther, but because, wow, God's grace has been poured out on his people. 
Friends, I wonder if something that might help us to pray, if we're struggling to pray, is actually to have a bigger sense of the grace of God, to see how vast it is, and to rejoice that God pours it out on us and our brothers and sisters, and in response to that, simply just to pray because of it. Isn't that a great reason to pray? Now, in verse 17, we've looked at kind of why Paul prays. In verse 17, he tells tells us what he prays for them. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the heart of the prayer, right? Everything else we're going to see in the next few verses, it's all built around this. Paul says he keeps praying that they know God and know him in a deeper way. You'll see there he talks about how he'd love God to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. This isn't an attitude that he wants them to have. No, no, this is God's spirit. Paul's actually praying that God might empower them by his spirit so that they might know God better. And verse 18 is so beautiful. Paul prays that, that the eyes of their heart would be opened as God reveals to them the truths that are theirs in Jesus. So it's a great couple of verses. Something I think I actually need to unpack a little bit is one word there. It's the word for know. Um, the word know, I don't know if you've noticed this, it has quite a semantic range. It's got a range of meanings. We can say that we know someone when in reality we kind of barely know them. Or we can say that we know someone, and that actually means actually no, we deeply, truly know them. They're, they're a dear friend to us. Now, pardon me if I've mentioned this before. Um, I want to tell you that I know a pop star. Um, I know Andrew Tierney. He's one of the singers from Human Nature. That's really impressing everyone who's the next generation, nobody else. Um, Andrew Tierney from Human Nature would occasionally come to my church down in Sydney. And when he, um, when he was there, I would say good day. Uh, we also used to work out at the same gym, and sometimes we would talk. Uh, I would go and ask him, hey, Andrew, can I use that weight machine after you? Um, Andrew, are you finished with the treadmill? You see, I can say that I know him when I barely know him at all. But I can also say that I know my family, and by that I mean something very different. I mean that I know them in a deep, in deep and real way. The word know here is very vague and flexible, but I think Paul is praying that we might know God in that deep and real way where we know his great plan and his purposes and we, we really know him. Now, knowing God doesn't happen in a, a straight line. It's not a kind of a linear progression, uh, generally speaking. That's my experience, at least, of knowing God. Um, it's not that I can read something and that totally changes me. Sometimes it actually requires a bit of time for the truth to drop down into my heart. Maybe you have that experience too. And that we need God's help to help us to know him in that deeper way, for the truth to really settle into us. Now, out the front of um, the library at QUT, where I went to uni, uh, I don't know if they... I think they still do. They have these huge vending machines, right, out the front of the library. So if you were studying all day in the library, you would study and then you would go and have the dinner of champions, which is a Mars bar, at night, just to get you through to the end of the study period, right? 
Except sometimes when you put your coin in the machine, the Mars bar got stuck. So some of the guys that I was studying with, they knew that if you kind of whacked it on the side, you get your Mars bar. Um, pardon this analogy, but I think that's what we're like, right? Sometimes we hear the truth, but it, you know, it hasn't quite sunk down. Kind of, kind of need a little bit of a whack on the side with more and more of the truth until it clicks, until we get it. Paul here is praying that Christians might really know God. The eyes of their heart might be open so that they know more and more of the truth of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. Friends, I want to look at what it is that is the content of now that knowledge because Paul actually talks about the truths that we need to know. These are the things that he thinks we need to keep hearing so that they click inside us. Have a look at verse 18. Christians need to know the hope of their calling. They need to know the hope that God has called them to. Now, earlier on in the passage, we saw how God in love predestined us to be his. He predestined us to be a part of his family. That is what he's called us to. And so our great hope as Christians is that we stand at the end of time as one of his people. That is, that is our hope. Paul prays that the Ephesians know that deeply. They know the hope of their calling. Um, I think our world actually gives us um, lots of other things to hope in, don't you think? Uh, lots of things are offered to us as things that we can hope in. Often, though, the hopes that we are offered, I think, are incredibly brittle. So when news comes about a war overseas, or when the stock market has a wobble, or the interest rates go up a little bit, or when someone we love is taken from us, the hopes that we hope in seem not to be that strong. They seem too weak to deal with the world that we actually live in. And Paul's praying here that these Christians will actually get a deeper sense of the hope that we have in Jesus, this real hope that we have, this lasting and strong hope, that it would settle down deep into our hearts. I'll give you a little picture of a guy who um, had that hope deeply. Um, his name was Hermann Lange. He was a German priest who lived during the Second World War, imprisoned by the Nazi regime simply because he taught against them and taught about the Lord Jesus. Um, not particularly famous, but certainly had a deep hope in Christ. Um, he wrote this letter to his parents in the days before his execution at the hands of the Nazis. This is what he writes. When this letter comes into your hands, I shall no longer be among the living. And the thing that has occupied our thoughts constantly for many months is now about to happen. If you ask me what state I am in, I can only answer I am first in a strangely joyous mood and secondly filled with great anticipation. For God shall wipe away every tear from, from their eyes. What consolation, what marvellous strength emanates from Christ. I'm amazed. In Christ I have put my faith and precisely today I have faith in him more firmly than ever. My parents look up the following passages, 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 14, 8. 
look anywhere you want in the Bible and everywhere, I find jubilation over the grace that makes us children of God. What can really happen to a child of God? Of what indeed should I be afraid? Wow. Don't you think? How on earth do you have the kind of hope that responds to, to his situation like that? Well, here's what I think had happened for him. I think the hope that he had in Jesus had actually sunk down deep into his heart. Friends, I pray that the hope of our calling might actually do that as well. It might sink deep down into our hearts. There's a second thing that Paul says that we actually need to know. It's a strange phrase there. He prays that we know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Do you see the phrase? Now, Paul is not talking there about our glorious inheritance, how we have a glorious inheritance in Jesus. That is true. Notice, though, that Paul says his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Do you see that? Um, he's talking about Jesus' inheritance, and that inheritance is his people. Uh, Paul wants us to realise how God sees us, how God sees his people. We are his glorious inheritance. Now, if that feels a bit sappy to you, that is um, actually the truth that Paul talks about here. He wants us to know how it is that God sees us, and for that to sink down deep. Um, em and I, years ago, we knew a lady who, because of what had happened to her through her life, she lived with these, these scars, emotional scars, and it kind of expressed itself in her seeking love in all the wrong places. Uh, lots of relationships that she had that just simply weren't any good for her. Uh, do you know the thing that turned her around? Actually knowing this truth in a deeper and deeper way. That she was God's treasured possession. As she came to know that, as she began to know something of the riches, of the spiritual riches that we have in Jesus, that was transformative for her. Uh, it wasn't an easy road. It took wrestling with God and wrestling with his word. But that truth did sink down deep in her. What do you think would change for you if you knew that truth deeply? If you understood it. Now the last thing. Last thing on his list of the three things that Paul prays for. And that is that we would know the power that we have in Christ. Um, now when you were talking about God's power, what examples would you give someone to speak of God's power? I, I think when I talk about God's power, when I'm trying to explain it to other people, I naturally start, I think, talking about God's power displayed in creation. Uh, creation displays God's goodness, wisdom and power, the confession says. And when you think about the might of storms, the power of the tides, or the power of the sun or the enormity of the universe and we say there is a power behind all that, I mean, kind of is a good example of God's power. But Paul doesn't use creation. He actually uses something, dare I say this, more powerful. Uh, in verse 19, he talks about God's great power that was displayed when he raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to sit at his right hand. And now, Paul can say, Jesus is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, 
and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul's saying here that the resurrection and the ascension and the exaltation of Jesus is this display of raw power. God showed us his power in conquering death and raising Jesus out of the grave. And more than that, Jesus isn't simply brought back to life. He's placed above every ruler and authority. There isn't an authority or a power or a ruler, spiritual or physical, who is above the Lord Jesus. There is nothing in this world, no force, no government, no authority, no power that is above him. Because in God's mighty power, he raised Jesus back to life and gave him the highest place of honour. Right? There's power. That's the picture of power that Paul shows us. And then Paul says something really amazing. That power is not just God showing off, right? It's not a cosmic flex where God says, hey, look at all my power. No, it's actually power displayed for us. See verse 19? For us who believe. Do you see? Or he's been powerfully appointed head over everything, verse 22, for the church. For the sake of the church is what that phrase means, which is his body. Not a cosmic flex, it's power that God uses for the sake of his people. Hey, brothers and sisters, when you and I believe in the Lord Jesus, uh, when we are in Christ, we are connected to the power that defeated sin and death, that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that puts Jesus on the throne. And that is such good news. It's good news because it means that we can actually change, that we can be transformed. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is a lot said in our world about change and how it's, how it's possible to change yourself, to overcome problems in your own life. Uh, in our world, there are endless self-help books and TikTok videos that tell you how you can transform your life, right? How you can change who you are. Now, for some reason, as I was writing this sermon, I kept on hearing Michael Jackson in my head. Please don't judge me for that. But do you know the song Man in the Mirror where it says if we're going to make the world a better place, we've got to look at ourselves and make a change? Friends, I, I just don't think we can change the man in the mirror. We can't transform ourselves. We actually need something more powerful than us. And Christian, that is what you have. If you're in Christ, you're connected to the resurrection power of Jesus. And Paul here prays that the Ephesian Christians would actually know that. That they wouldn't try to live in their own power, but come to God and ask for his strengthening. Um, just before the Second World War in a town in Texas, uh, there was this fire that took hold of a school and apparently 263 children lost their lives. That is an incredible tragedy, don't you think? Um, this community was determined to overcome it and so after the war, as servicemen and women returned, the town began to expand, they decided to build a new school and they were committed to having the finest sprinkler system ever seen. And so this little town spent a fortune on it. They got the best. And when it was built, they were so proud of this achievement that they would actually give tours to other school boards from around the United States of their sprinkler system. Um, it was many years later 
when they were planning to expand the school again, that they realised that their world-leading sprinkler system had never been connected to the water supply. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened so that we might know the power of God. The mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that, if we're in Christ, belongs to us and can give us new life and can transform us. Paul prays that we might know that. Hey, brothers and sisters, I've got to tell you, I love this prayer. Because when I'm struggling to pray, I can't find motivation for it. When I'm struggling to know what to pray, what I should be asking God for, I find myself time and time again just coming back to this. Because I think this passage helps me lift my eyes to the gospel of Jesus and I see in it God's grace and his power and his might and this gives me reason to pray. So if that's you this week, I just want to leave you with this. I want to encourage you to, you know, if you're struggling to pray, read this passage. See what God has done for you in Christ and pray. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you that you pour out on us your spirit so that the eyes of our heart might be opened. Father, we ask that we, our eyes would be opened, that we would be enlightened, that we would know what we have in Jesus. Father, we pray that you'd give us a deeper understanding of the hope that we have in Christ. Father, we pray that we would understand how loved and treasured we are because we are your people. And Father, we pray that we would know the power that can transform and change us. Father, we ask that you might strengthen us, we pray, in Jesus' name.